dear young married couple, did you grow up in one culture but were transplanted to a different culture? Or did your parents grow up in a different culture than the one you're in now? And so you're exposed to a lot of the norms of both their culture and your own culture. Today, we talk to a missionary's kid who grew up in Peru, has an incredible story of really trying to belong to one culture, but really can't fit in. I never had words to describe that experience. Until a few years ago when he was exposed to an entire uh, realm of study. It's a term called the third culture kid. And he goes into detail uh, about that today. So we have the privilege of talking with Pastor Kelly Nix. He is the pastor of a church in San Antonio, Texas. Um, He is also a professor, um, a very well-educated man. He has a doctorate in global business and leadership, uh, an MBA in management and strategy, um, a bachelor's in business management, associates in psychology, and an associates in computer science, lots of degrees. Um, but he has a heart for people who grew up in the situation we just described. And you may not relate to his specific upbringing in Peru, but there are elements of this conversation that you might be familiar with if you are in an intercultural scenario. Yes, it was an amazing interview. Also, we want to tell you we are so sorry, but the mics were not working during this interview. And it was so incredible. Uh, but we just didn't want to throw it out. Um, so please bear with us. It's only the Zoom recording. Um, but I think you're still going to find a lot of value from this podcast. On to the interview. Welcome, Dr. Pastor Reverend Kelly Nix to the podcast. We're so honored that you chose to come on and share your story and insights with us today. So thank you. Thank you. It's great to be on. Man, we're just so thankful um, to to know you, and we were just recently with you in Texas with our kids, and as we were sharing, uh, just so the listeners know, as we were eating at a Mexican restaurant, uh, Brother Nick started sharing his testimony, his life, childhood story, and it's so unique, and you have some insights that I think is it really has the potential of helping a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we're looking forward to diving into your story today. So for those who have no idea who you are, share with us um, just a little bit about your upbringing. If you want to start at the very beginning, I think it's quite an interesting story of your birth. Literally the first, the very beginning. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, I, I, uh, I like to say that my birth was unremarkable, but it almost wasn't. Uh, (laughs) I, I was born in in Lima, Peru, in 1970, which was the uh, kind of the apex of the communist dictatorship period of, of the Peruvian government. Oh. And uh, my mom and dad were on the way to the hospital, and the dictator decided to come by right at the same time and block the intersection. And so he had quite a long motorcade. And by the time uh, all of that was cleared up, and 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 they were able to make their way to the hospital, my mom walked in, and five minutes later, I was here. just in time (laughs) just in time oh my goodness so talk to us about what it was like to grow up in peru as a dual citizen i mean you were you are a u.s citizen and a peruvian citizen is that right that's correct yeah it was a uh it was it was very interesting obviously as as a child growing up as a dual citizen because there was a mandatory graft at that time in peru 
Mm. And so uh, at, at the age of 18, every male had to serve and had uh, I and my other brother who was born there as well. I actually served in the Peruvian military. We would have lost our American citizenship. So as much as we enjoyed the dual citizenship, there was also a, a, a danger there. Um, and So what did you uh, do? How did you make that decision? Well, my mom and dad, uh, when we got close to the age, I think my brother was 15. So we were just a couple of years away from when he would have had to register. They decided that it was time to move the family elsewhere. Gotcha. Wow. Yeah. Did you guys come back to the States or stay in Peru? We didn't initially come to the States. We uh, we moved to Costa Rica, and uh, we spent a couple of years there, and then we ended up back in the States. So I, I was 14 when I first came to live in the U.S. Oh, my goodness. And you visited a couple times before then when you guys were on deputation. And for the yes. rest of the family, I remember you saying it was like going back home because the U.S. was home for your couple of your brothers and um, for your parents. But for you and your one other brother, going back to the U.S. was not like going back home. You, you said it was kind of like being tourists. It, it really was. And and really, in, in the general sense, my whole family felt that way because they were so passionate about their calling to the mission field. And, and they had, had made up their minds to make uh, South America their home. But, but literally for uh, my brother and myself, and really I can only speak for myself, not knowing what all inside my brother's head yeah. um, it was it was uh exciting uh we we got to see relatives that we had really only heard about uh up until then um got to at, at that time you couldn't find a mcdonald's a burger king uh anything like that where we lived and so that was that was really big um but we also <laughs> were very very keenly aware that uh, uh it was not our culture and it was not our home. Mm -hmm. So, and, and that's really the aim of the conversation is discussing how this missionary kid fit and didn't fit into two cultures. Mm -hmm. And so that almost made you something else. Tell us yes. about maybe your discovery of that. And then maybe your reflections as a kid and how that affected you growing up um, and where sure. you are today with that. Well, my discovery of that was, was kind of late in life. And uh, I, I really had no idea whatsoever what an impact it would make on me. Mm. Um, I was in my early 40s and uh, Sister Amber Aston, which, whom I think you know very well, uh, was conducting her graduate research. Um, and, and she contacted me and she asked if I would be willing to participate in a survey. And so uh, I said, yes, uh, with absolutely no idea uh, what what implications that was going to carry with it. And so mm. when I received the survey and, and she asked me if I had ever heard the term third culture kids, I was completely blank. I had no idea what she was talking about. Mm -hmm. she, she asked me to uh, to watch a couple of videos, um, and when I did, and they were short short videos by by people who had grown up in similar circumstances to me, uh, I was completely my world was rocked. Hmm. Um, I was completely, I almost want to say, devastated, hmm. um, and and overwhelmed at the same time because suddenly I was I was hearing people put into words 
things that I had only experienced and had never thought about as being a thing, mm -hmm. if that makes any sense. Yeah. Uh, it was just life to me. Yeah. Uh, and, and now I was hearing other people articulate those things and virtually everything that they said was pushing a button in me. Uh, uh, by the time that I got through uh, watching those videos, I was uh, was in a very different emotional state. Uh, and I began to, to, to learn for the first time in my life, really, who I was and realize that there were other people like me. Wow. Uh, so, yeah, it was it was a I would have expected it to be somewhat of a liberating experience. It really wasn't. It mm. it kind of went the other direction. And for, uh, I would say, probably three or four years after that, I was really, uh, it, it's hard to describe because I, I had the pieces to the puzzle. Right. Mm -hmm. But uh, I couldn't necessarily put all those pieces together. Mm. Ah. It, it, what did you learn? So as you sat down and watched the video, what what were they describing that you connected with? Well, the, the third culture kid is is actually a child who grows up uh, in kind of an overlapping situation. Uh, they they grow up uh, in a country that is not their parents' passport country or their birth country. Mm -hmm. uh, and so... Uh, their parents are very clearly immigrants to wherever they're living as, as expatriates. Mm -hmm. um, but the child does not necessarily feel like an immigrant, but the child is perceived as an immigrant. Mm -hmm. And when the child goes back to the parent's passport country, uh, they are perceived there as being from that country, but they don't feel like they're from that country at all. So really they exist in a third culture that overlaps into two different cultures. Mm. Um, and so really it, it kind of came into focus because, uh, growing up in Peru, I spoke the language from, from the time that I could speak. Yeah. Uh, I ate the local foods. I had local friends, but no one ever looked at me and thought I was Peruvian. Uh, even though I, I, I was a Peruvian citizen. So you were um, not perceived as one of them. Correct. So even though I felt more like one of them, uh, I was not perceived as such. And so there was not a, uh, a perfect fit into the culture. Yeah. Um, mm. And then when I'd come back to the States, of course, everybody assumed that I was like everybody else, but I certainly never felt like everybody else. Uh, I didn't know really what, what the pop culture was. Uh, I still don't really know all the rules to basketball. <laughs> <laughs> but do you know the rules to uh, football or soccer? <laughs> uh, I, I used to know them better. It's been a few years, but uh, yeah. but really, I was I was bigger than, than than most of the other kids who I played soccer with, and that's not always necessarily a good thing for soccer. So I never was really good at that either. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So what was it like? So as you're learning, like and they're putting new into words that you don't fit. What stories do you remember from your childhood that really uh, shine a light on that? This is your culture and it's not your culture at the same exact time. You know, I think, I think uh, probably the most clear example of that would be uh, when, when we finally came back 
to live in the United States when I was 14 years old. Just the, that there's a lot that goes into the way a third culture kid perceives uh, what's known as the home country or the parent's passport country. Yeah, tell us. Um, and, and a lot of it has to do with the socioeconomic classes that you work with. Uh, here here in America, generally, there's a, a flatter um, society as far as, as socioeconomic differences. Uh, people mm -hmm. have good opportunities. And, and uh, so what we consider poverty in the United States uh, would be considered a, a pretty good standard of living in, in some places I've lived. Ah, yeah. Um, so that was a big that, shift for you. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's huge. And, and it affects the mentality of the population. Uh, here in America, we have what's known as adolescence, which uh, was a an invention by an American psychiatrist or psychologist, I don't remember which one, uh, in the 1920s. And uh, it was invented to, to compensate for the sudden uh, lack of parental supervision because moms and dads were working for the first time, both of them. And kids are growing up as latchkey kids getting in trouble. Um, so rather than than uh, address the issue that was causing this, uh, which was a lack of parenting, um, it became easier for society to to invent this notion of adolescence where well, there's just a phase that kids go through where where they act crazy. And uh, <laughs> all this is actually documented in the uh, in the APA. Uh, journals. Okay. Um, adolescence. So, Does that come from the same word as adult? Probably so. <laughs> That's <laughs> they're, so they're, they're, funny. Their essence is adult. Yeah. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I, I never thought, I've never seen that. Wow. Interesting. Okay. And so um, that that's that's a problem created by prosperity. Mm. Um, huh. In in countries that don't have a standard of living that. Um, has to be supported by by the parents being absent from the home all the time. Um, the children tend to pitch in at a much earlier age and and help with the family finances. And so, mm -hmm. um, most third world countries or developing countries, you're going to find that that a, a boy, a, a male child of twelve, is probably not in school anymore in the, in the lower socioeconomic classes. Mm -hmm. um, he's working, right? He's working. He's supporting his family. He is he's very mature uh, when you speak to a 12-year-old or a 14-year-old. Um, they're extremely mature in their worldview. Mm. And so uh, because most of our missionary work was done in uh, a, a lower socioeconomic sector of society, those were the kids that I grew up with. Hmm. And so... You so were pretty mature compared to your 14 year old peers in the u.s who were probably very latchkey <laughs> where they were in their adolescence exactly yes yes exactly and and so it is not necessarily a matter of good or bad but it's a matter of being different yeah and at at 14 years old um i wasn't necessarily emotionally prepared to deal with different mm. um and so it was easier to perceive it as good or bad. So and, how did you and, perceive and it? Of, well, it, it, and this is common of third culture kids. If, if, you, if you study the literature, you'll find this is a very common problem, a very judgmental attitude mm. um, where you come back and, and you're 
you're frustrated with your peers because um, they're not thinking of serious matters. And, uh, they're having fun. They're having a great time. Mm-hmm. They're on their four wheelers. They're which I never had a problem with anybody having fun, but it was hard to uh, it was hard to process the fact that that could be the main focus of your life. So weird too, because mm-hmm. those a lot of those cultures, it's it's about survival rather right. than let's go ride dirt bikes and have fun. Fun is on the far side of survival. Yeah. Exactly. And then what tends to happen is, uh, and again, this is a, a common problem for third culture kids. Once they finally adapt to to the culture of youth and their parents' passport country, uh, by that time, they're generally in their mid-20s or so, and then they have a backlash. So they live a, a, a belated childhood, a belated adolescence, because now uh... they've suddenly caught up with the fact, hey, this is pretty good. Did that happen to you? Um, I, 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 that probably a better question for my wife. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of your wife, how did growing up as a third culture kid impact your marriage? Even before you had a term for that. I mean, you just knew you were an MK, you were a missionary's kid. Um, right. and then you became ministry yourself. Um, and so how, how did that impact your marriage even without you realizing where it was coming from? You know, it, it had an impact even before we got married because I knew that, that someday I would be back in that world. At least I believed I would. Mm-hmm. And so we had a lot of conversation about that and uh, about uh, how prepared my wife would be to to make that kind of a move, make that change, a really radical change of direction in her life. Yeah. And and she was uh, was supportive of it. And we actually did end up going to the mission field for a while. And uh, she probably was a better missionary than I was, actually. But uh, (laughs) And you guys were also in South America. We were. We were in Brazil, which was a completely different culture than I grew up in as well and a completely different language. But uh, But people assume uh, it's the same. They're like, oh, yeah, he just went back. Yeah, do you speak Portuguese? I do. Wow. Do you speak Portuguese and Spanish and English? Yes. Yep. And, and Texan on top of that. <laughs> That's so great. Oh. Wow. So, yeah, so you guys go go back to the mission field, a completely new culture, new language. What was it like yes. for you then? You know, it was it was a a in some ways a very familiar situation because some things were similar to where I grew up. Uh linguistically, it was a real eye opener for me because having grown up speaking two language at the same time i never really had uh the experience of consciously learning a language mm. and so here i was uh almost 30 years old and uh we had my wife and i had bought a a portuguese course on cassette tape if that tells you how long ago this was <laughs> and we had attempted to to study the language and we got as far as learning um how to say good morning and how do you um, say good morning Bon dia. <laughs> nice. And and uh, uh, do you have any children? Actually, the way you would say in Portuguese is, "Does the lady have children?" Oh, interesting. And, <laughs> not uh, the that's man. not all we do at that point. I think we know how to say thank you as well. And so oh, I stepped man. off the airplane in uh, in Rio de Janeiro while we waited for a connecting flight, and here I have my wife and I have four children. Uh, 
age of seven and down, all the way down to two months. Wow. And uh, we stepped into the food court at the airport, and I suddenly realized I don't even know how to order food for my family. And that was a real sobering moment. Mm. (laughs) Wow. So you grew up knowing Portuguese, is that right? Spanish. No, Spanish. Oh, you grew up knowing Spanish in Peru. Okay. So Portuguese was the new language that you were learning through the cassette tapes. Correct. I bet you that people were really scratching their head. Like, why does this guy have a Peruvian accent speaking Portuguese? (laughs) Yes, yes, they, they they really did. They would they would ask me often where I was from. They would suspect I was Italian or Swiss or or from uh, some other European or even South American country. But uh, they they never really expected me to be American. Right. Oh man. So how long were you guys in uh, Brazil? We were actually in Brazil for two years. We spent uh, almost as long traveling to raise funds to go to Brazil as we did. Uh, to be in Brazil. So wow. a total of about four years, our, our, our endeavor there. Okay. Wow. So just kind of, there is so many questions I could ask right now. Cause I, it, it's so curious to me, but I could see how this would cause so much disturbance mm. because of, of belonging. The need for belonging is so strong. Everybody wants to belong. That's why we go to the ends of the earth with materialism is because we want to belong in this group Mm. you know we want people to accept us and maybe higher status than maybe we are like so we go out and do these things just to get this approval so i can imagine just how frustrating it was to feel this is your country and your people but not your country and your people how yes how did it affect you um i know kind of going backwards and then maybe we'll make application to people that feel this now uh, and then maybe some advice for parents. Um, but how did it how did it affect you? And how could your parents have really helped you in that situation when you had no power? Um, you didn't choose to be there. Um, but how did you handle that that feeling? That, that's a great question, and it's it's a complicated question. Yeah. Um, d- during the time that. Uh, uh, my childhood was was developing. There wasn't nearly the the level of knowledge about the third culture kid phenomenon that that there is today, and I'm thankful for all of the research that has blossomed in recent years about this. In the early 1970s, really nobody knew anything about third culture kids, and I, I don't think uh, there was much thought given to the fact that such a, a thing existed. Mm-hmm. Um, and because of that, um, you know, certainly the mission was not preparing uh, parents and families for uh, for what they were going to face in their day because hard to prepare for something you don't know about. Mm-hmm. Um, and and the the prevailing wisdom at that time, and I don't think this was unique to uh, apostolic missions. I think this was across the Christian missionary uh, scene as a whole. Mm-hmm. Um, was was an emphasis on on preserving your children's American identity, mm. and, and I appreciate that um, because America is a great country, and and uh, I'm very proud to be an American. 
and my parents were always very careful to to instill that 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 pride uh, in citizenship, and, and and I don't regret that at all. However, um, this this awareness was was fostered um, at the expense of giving equal attention to the child's attachment to the local culture. Mm. So uh, you were raised to be an expat. Um, and, and as a result of that, you were told it would be unwise to marry into the local culture because of strong cultural differences, etc. And so you spent your entire childhood growing up knowing I don't belong here. Hmm. Um, I live here but I can't make a life here, if that makes any sense. Yeah. And so, and, and, and really, I haven't found much or, or, or any, actually, uh, literature on third culture kids that covers my exact situation because most third culture kids moved to the host country when they were very small. And mm -hmm. so they and their parents actually share a passport country, uh, but not the culture of that country. In my case, uh, I didn't move to the uh, to to Peru. I was born in Peru, mm -hmm. and so my parents and I don't have the same birth country. Um, and neither do you and, and your wife and you and your kids. Correct. <laughs> what, correct. Which makes it really interesting because in your family, it's a mixed origin family. Like it's it's not shared. Really, that's that's the case, and I grew up very keenly aware of the fact that that I didn't have a home state in the United States. I didn't have a home city, and so to this day, the question that I dread probably the most when I meet people is, "Where are you from?" Uh huh. And it's like, well, how do I define that? Yeah, you know, do you want to know where I was born? Do you want to know where I've lived most of my life? Uh, what exactly do you, you know, do you want to know what I identify with the most? I can't even tell you that. When, when I'm in Peru, I generally feel like an American. When I'm here, I generally feel more Peruvian. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> wow. And now you're in Texas, San Antonio, pastoring there. Uh, completely different culture than the rest of America. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So how, kind of changing this a little bit, how would you... Uh, who first of all who does this apply to you're this feeling who who are the people that you're really speaking to that fits this demographic you know i'm i'm finding more and more people who who fit the demographic um even though they probably didn't think about it themselves like i didn't think about it initially mm -hmm. um it doesn't have to be somebody whose whose story is exactly like mine uh it can be uh well, again, going back to to the the very technical definition of a third culture kid is somebody who spent their formative years, or or at least I believe it's two, at least two of their formative years in a culture other than their parents' passport culture, okay. and the formative years being considered to be between two and eighteen for purposes of TCKs. Mm. And so, uh, when you think about it, we have a large uh, military community that is very mobile. They, they travel uh, around the world. Their families are often uprooted and moved around the world. Um, international business people, but it's not really just limited to, to uh, the international scenario. 
because here in America, we have subcultures that are so strong. Yeah. Uh, east to West Coast, uh, North to South, that uh, even moving from one subculture region to another during those formative years uh, can have a similar impact. Maybe not as marked, but it can it can it can have a similar impact on people. Mm. Yeah. And in wow. our churches, we have a lot of immigrant families in our churches, um, and so um, mom and dad may come from. Mexico. Uh-huh. Well, their children were, were born here or came here at a very young age and grew up here. Those children are keenly aware of the fact that they don't belong to their parents' culture, and neither do they feel they completely fit into uh, the broader American culture, hmm. which brings up a whole different aspect of, of the um, third culture kids slash uh, intercultural issue, and that is that in our um, particularly our, our, our Spanish language apostolic churches here in, in the States, almost every child in those churches is going to be in an intercultural marriage. Interesting. And so uh, that's part of the, part of the fabric of the whole TCK issue is that um, almost every TCK is going to be in an intercultural marriage. Mm-hmm. They may have similar physical features, their skin color may be the same, but uh, but their cultural experiences are completely different. Their brain is different. Their skin. Yes, and, and, and you see a, a an incredibly high level of of marriage failure in uh, in TCKs across really? the board. Yeah, and part of that, uh, if you stop and think about it, so you've got uh, somebody like myself, um, Caucasian, Anglo American. Uh, in my appearance, yeah. And I were to come back to the states and and marry someone who looked like me, and and they look at me and they think, well, they must be just like me because they look like me. Uh huh. <laughs> and in reality, we have nothing in common other than the color of our skin and a language. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. And so, yeah, if you're not aware of that from the outset, then that can be a recipe for disaster. And even, I mean, you married your wife. She doesn't have the same color skin as you. What is her right. um, origin? She She's a uh, Hispanic of, of Mexican descent. Okay. And she's so, like fifth or sixth generation. Okay. So you have yeah. more probably. She's more American than you are. You're more South. Yeah. You're Absolutely. more South American than she is. Um, Absolutely. But people assume the opposite when they look at you guys. Has that presented right. challenges in integrating into society as a married couple? I, I think it probably has made it easier uh, than it would have otherwise for me. Now, I don't, I don't know if I can say that for her um, because I, I don't really know what she was expecting out of me, uh, whether, whether she fully comprehended that I wasn't from here or not. I guess she would have to speak to that. Uh-huh. Uh, for me, it was much more comfortable uh, because of her connections to a a broader culture, and 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 really, when we speak of the Hispanic culture, um, there is really no such thing, uh, because every country is different, and and uh, every country has its own cultures, and so um, Peruvians don't really feel related to Mexicans, and Mexicans don't really feel related to Guatemalans, and right, but, yeah, but it's more of a linguistic culture, and and. In the sense, of the shared uh, shared background of of relating back to Spanish culture from Spain, mm-hmm. 
Um, but yeah, I, I think probably it has been more of a surprise for her than it would be for me because my life, I grew up knowing everybody was different from me. So you expected different. I did. Yeah. Hmm. So how would you, um, how do you pastor different knowing, knowing what you know and the experiences you have? You know, it, uh, our church is, is very um, multicultural. Uh, I don't know if that is coincidental, uh, being here in a, in a military city, in a place where a lot of people, it's a destination for a lot of people. Um, but uh, I, I like to think that, uh, that at least part of it might be due to the fact that my own experience is very multicultural, and, and I find it very easy to relate to people of all different cultures mm-hmm. to relate to, um, not necessarily to completely understand but right. but to to be able to navigate in and out of those cultural waters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You mentioned earlier that when you first discovered this term third culture kid and what it entailed and and related to so much of it, understanding so much of it, um, it really didn't relieve you. In fact, it made right. you feel somewhat the opposite for a few years. Talk to us about the transition. Like, when did it get better for you and why? You know, honestly, I don't know that it has gotten better. Ah. Um, I think uh, I've never had a a serious disease, but I think you might be able to draw the parallel between finding out you have a a condition or you have a syndrome. And I'm not saying that, that being a TCK is is necessarily that or negative but um what you find out is 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 you have something you're going to have to learn to live with versus Mm. fix gotcha um and and kind of make the best of that Uh, there were some 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 statistics i came across there's a uh, some great books by a lady named lauren wells who is herself a, a tck and she's a counselor um she shared some statistics that come from i think actually the cdc the CDC has uh, um, they they come up with a a set of criteria uh, to diagnose what they call adverse childhood experiences of ACE. I'm sure you're familiar yeah. with that. And uh, the uh, those who have a a relatively high score uh, on these adverse childhood experience scales. Uh, here's some numbers that are kind of staggering. They're, they're two times more likely to develop heart disease or cancer. They're seven times more likely to be alcoholic. They're nearly 400% more at risk of emphysema or chronic bronchitis. They're 1,200% more likely to attempt suicide. Whew. Wow. Yeah. Um, they're also more likely to be violent, to have more marriages, to have more broken bones, have more drug prescriptions, have more depression, and more autoimmune diseases. Um, and uh, and they also note that people with ACE scores of six or higher uh, are at risk of having a lifespan shortened by twenty years. Yeah. So, I went I went through and took the uh, the ACE quiz just to find out you know where I stand, and then I actually came out with a score of zero, which I was pretty happy about. Um, yes. But but it also tells me that that there is a lot that hasn't been addressed in the research yet because. Uh, the way that they figure these ACE scores is based on some very narrow criteria that relates to uh, emotional and domestic abuse uh, right. in childhood. 
but there's there are other types of of adverse childhood experiences that right. aren't related to emotional or physical abuse that you probably and, wouldn't and I, score a zero on. I probably score an eleven out of ten. Oh, and that's right. not because of, of anybody's intentionality. It's because of the reality of the situation. Yeah. Uh, wh when you live, uh, I think going back to something Adam said earlier, um, the, the people's perception of, of us and how we fit in. Um, I think an individual's sense of worth comes largely, uh, obviously, as, as Christians, we know that our primary sense of worth comes from God's opinion of us and not, not the world's. But... Um, uh, your, your sense of worth as a as a human, uh, culturally speaking, is derived, in my opinion, very heavily from your degree of acceptance into society and, mm -hmm. and how you feel that society perceives you. Yep. And when you live your life constantly looking in through the window, um, that that really can do some things to you. The uh, the common emotion expressed by third culture kids regarding loss and grief in their lives, or maybe I would say the common emotion, the, the, a common description uh, from third culture kids of what that feels like is uh, often a, a death without a funeral. Mm. Um, getting onto an airplane, and I can, I, can, I can relate completely to this, where you, you reach a sudden, often unexpected change of direction in your life. You get on an airplane, and five, six hours later, you step off and you're in a completely new life and and everything about your old life, good and bad, is gone. Dead. Mm. Wow. Um, and it was a little different back in, in, in the 1980s when I ended up uh, leaving the mission field and coming back because we didn't have email. We didn't have Facebook. We didn't have all these means of staying in touch. Right. Um, and so it was a very, very final separation. You knew that letters might take two months to get back and forth, so nobody really bothered writing letters. Uh, you knew that 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 part of your life was over, and and it was over whether you had any say in it, any choice about it. Uh, it was completely out of your control. So you 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 felt a combination of powerlessness, mm -hmm. um, the the thought that has come to me many times to try to describe that feeling is that of a kidnap victim. You end up uh, in another place, in another life, another situation, and you have absolutely no control over how you got there, and you know that you can't get back. Mm. Oh. Uh, and even if you do get back, it's, it's not really going to be the same as it was when you were there. The world goes on in your absence. Mm. That is very jarring, life-changing, and like you mentioned, would qualify as an adverse childhood effect um, you know, even though it's not one of those specific ACE items, how would you encourage as a pastor and as someone who shares these experiences with a lot of people listening, how would you, how would you encourage those who say, Hey, I know exactly what you're talking about for the first time. I have a term for it. What do I do now? Number one, find other people with similar experiences. There are a lot of TCKs out there, even if they're not yet aware that they are TCKs. Um, and, and, and what's been found to be the, the case for TCKs, they never completely fit in, in their host country. They never completely fit in their parents' culture. But when they get with other TCKs, they click immediately, no matter where those TCKs are from or what their, uh, their local background was, what mm -hmm. country they were located in. Um, there is a third culture 
made up of these TCKs and you immediately are, are at ease. Wow. Um, and you found that to be true for yourself. I have. Um, an, another characteristic of TCK is we don't really tend to make friends. We make acquaintances. Mm -hmm. And you learn that after you've lost your third or fourth or fifth set of friends overnight. You learn that it's a whole lot easier to, to make casual acquaintances than it is to form deep friendships. Because you, mm -hmm. you learn to expect that you're going to lose those friends. Uh, that's just a fact of life. So really the, the, I have, uh, relatively few close friendships as an adult, but those that I do have tend to be third culture kids. Um, That's fascinating. Yeah. You share so much in common with them, even if they're not from the same country. Right. And, and, and our friendships differ probably from other types of friendships in that we're accustomed to being at a distance from each other. Um, we may go months without ever speaking to each other. And then a text or a phone call uh, picks up where we left off. There's there's no real warming up period or reintroduction period. It's it's just uh, it's it's a mentality that understands we're scattered across the globe, yeah. and um, we're alive, but we don't have to be checking in with each other every day to prove that. <laughs> but you feel belonging there, so it feels good to yes. connect with those people. Absolutely. How would you how would you um, encourage parents? of third culture kids, um, how can they hear this and maybe respond to in a, in a way that's helpful to their kids? I, I think uh, probably one of the greatest things that parents of TCKs could do is, is to have that conversation with their kids and let them know that they understand um, that, that being part of the family doesn't mean you have to have the same culture. Mm -hmm. um, that they are a family, that, that the family love is there, that, that those family ties are there. But at the same time, there is a respect for the difference of culture in their children's lives. Yeah. After all, um, it was the parents' decision. And if we want to use the word fault, I know that's a negative term, but uh, um, let's, let's say that the children's condition as a TCK is a consequence of decisions by the parents. Right. And so um, having that conversation with kids, letting them know that it's okay for those kids not to be identical in culture to their parents. Yeah. And then being supportive of the long-term ramifications uh, for mm -hmm. your children of, of what it means to be that TCK that you actually created. So if you're living um, in a society that is not your, your passport culture as a parent, um, my advice would be don't raise your children thinking they have to go back to your passport culture to, to marry and form a family mm. that it's okay for them to form their own futures in the culture that works for them. And we even see that in the Bible. We see, we see a, a, a tragic mm. mistake involving a third culture kid. You've got Jacob who grows up in Canaan. Um, and, and, his mom is not from Canaan. She's Syrian or Aramean. And so uh, when it comes time for Jacob to marry, because mom and dad aren't happy with his brother's choices among the local women. So they tell Jacob, you have to go back to your mother's home and find you a bride from your culture. Well, it's not his it culture. His culture. <laughs> exactly. But nobody realized that. So he gets back and he finds the girl he wants to marry. And uh, 
asked for her hand. And as we all know, on the wedding night, it's not her. The next morning, he discovers that. And when he goes back to complain to his new father-in-law, his father-in-law says, well, you should have known that in our country, we never give away the younger before the older. Wow. I've never seen that from a cultural yeah. perspective. <laughs> mm. And so it can have it can have serious consequences. Um, wow. Yeah. yeah. At least 14 years worth. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> oh man. This has been so yeah. insightful um, as counselors for us to have that increased sensitivity and awareness. Um, and I think for people listening who don't fall into this category, for and I'm sure they are friends of third culture kids, like you said, people whose parents didn't grow up here and then they brought them here. Like it's not just missionary kids that fit this this mold. Um, if you can call it that, it's really not a mold. Um, so thank you so much for sharing your experience, your insight and the impact. We're praying this um, impacts a lot of people who are listening. Yeah, we're so thankful. What resources um, could you offer, you know, maybe point people to to start learning about this? There are some great resources out there. Matter of fact, as I was kind of uh, uh, looking around prior to this podcast, I noticed that there are a lot more resources now than there were just two or three years ago. So that's, oh, nice. that's awesome. But I wanted to recommend a couple of them. Uh, one of them is the book, Third Culture Kids, mm -hmm. uh, Growing Up Among Worlds. That's and the one that's you sent by, to uh, us a, yes, a couple of months correct. ago. Yeah. Who's it by? by Ruth Van Rieken and David Pollock. Okay. And uh, it's the third edition. They uh, they've had to they've learned so much in the last few years. They've had to update, and uh, they're on their third edition now. So that's really good because it, it goes beyond just uh, I'm sorry, it goes beyond just third culture kids, and it touches on the issue of cross cultural kids, mm -hmm. uh, which which involves almost everybody now right. in, in the United States and in the world. Uh, and then uh, there are a couple of other books: uh, Raising Healthy Third Culture Kids by Lauren Wells and uh, uh, her other book. And this one is one that I found particularly helpful for adult third culture kids um, is Unstacking Your Grief Tower, Ooh. also by Lauren Wells. That sounds amazing. And I, if I could just mention this, I think uh, probably depression would be one of the prevailing emotions that third culture kids, adult third culture kids struggle with, except for... Uh, according to those who have have studied it, it's not really depression; it's unresolved grief mm -hmm. over over losses that were never never settled. And so, this book I I think would be very helpful with that. Wow, that is powerful. Yeah, I almost want to read that. That's actually what came to mind when you were describing your own experience. Yeah. Uh, even just finding out a few years ago and how it's still not gotten better, I was thinking, man, I wonder if you still have a lot of grief work to do. I think so. And I, I gave a seminar a, a few years ago uh, on third culture kids. There was a pastor in attendance. And uh, at the end, he came and jokingly said, thank you for ruining my life. Uh, he had just discovered what he was for the first time and, and, and the impact was was hitting him as well. There is a lot of unresolved grief. Oh my goodness. Yeah. So if you're listening and you this resonates with you, that might be a book to start with, I would imagine, The Unstacking Your it, Grief Tower. Yes, it's a very short read. It's, it's about 100 pages, a very easy read and very practical. Good. Good. We'll link those in the show notes. Yeah. Grief is such a weird, difficult emotion. 
Yeah. Um, and, and I think it, it bears saying that grief is not a is not a a, a negative thing, as far mm-hmm. as uh, it, it's not it's not a defect. The scripture says that Jesus was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Yeah. And he was a third culture kid too. Yes, he was. That's good. Yeah, because he went he went to Egypt, right? So there there he was a a third culture kid. And then he came to his own and his own received him not. And his own received him not. (laughs) That too. In a spiritual sense. Man. Goodness. Okay. Most of the great leaders in the Bible were third culture kids. Man, it's a whole different lens. Yeah. Moses. Joseph. Yeah. Yeah. Dan Uh Daniel. Yeah. Whew. Yes. My oh. goodness. Right. Big time. Very interesting. Man, we can nerd out <laughs> about yeah, that I know. for sure. <laughs> so good. Well, thank you so much for spending the time today to pour into um, the listeners and and sharing your own, you know, vulnerably sharing your feelings around this and. I'm sure this is going to resonate with a lot of people. So thank you yes. so much. We're going to close well, out the episode. Me. Absolutely. We're going to close out the episode the way we close out all of our episodes. And that's by asking you this question. Uh, rewind back to the first year of your marriage. How long have you been married? 31 years. 31 years. And uh, what advice do you wish you would have received? And then fill in the blank. Dear young married couple. Wow, I wish I would have received a whole lot of advice, and I did, <laughs> but uh, um, I think I think my advice would be take time to listen and learn the person you married, because your marriage is not, not all about you. Mm. It's very much about them. That's good. Mm. Love that. I do love that. Well, thank you, Brother Nix. You're a gift. This is so helpful. We appreciate it. Thank you. Well, thank you. It's been a pleasure being on with you.